I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999, the podcast where we talk about television ratings in 1999 from inside a tube TV here in 2019. I am one of your hosts, Kenny Nybor. And I'm Felisco. And today we are breaking form Matt a little bit. We're being joined by um, the great Joe Adalian of New York Magazine and Vulture, um, one of the great Twitter follows. If you want to, if on you the platform. if you are on the Twitter platform and you are looking for someone to break down TV ratings, there is no one better than Joe. or television in general. Joe, you've been retweeted so many times. It's I'm crazy. Sick of you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I've never spoken to you before, so it's so so great to have you on this podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to be here, and uh, I appreciate the offer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it it was one of those things where you know Kenny and I were talking about different ways to come at 1999 and different episodes to kind of just branch out a little bit, but also just really kind of get into the kind of the meat and potatoes of how people ingested content back then. And uh, you know, I thought to myself, who better than to have to have you on to talk about sort of where we were and where we are now, and maybe where we are going in terms of watching television. I hope a lot of this conversation will be about judging Amy. Was that your? That was your favorite. Yeah, uh, it was. Of course, it wasn't at everyone's. I mean, you know. I mean, I hear that uh, the episodes are finally going to be taken off Netflix and going to CBS All Access. It's going to really. <laughs> it's going to really help. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's funny. As I was doing some some research uh, last night, 
I was looking at, and I got to say, Wikipedia does a pretty incredible job of of just having so many different, obviously, okay. articles and ways out things. But looking at the actual network schedule back in the 1998 to 1999, mm-hmm. and then 1999 to 2000 seasons, there are so many shows that I do not know existed. Test me. <laughs> yeah, test them. Oh, boy. Okay. Let's, we can do this. I'm going to test you on one that, that you might know, but I did not. Jesse? I know Jesse. Jesse yes. Jesse's that was, not, Jesse's was that not in, Applegate? Yeah. yeah. Jesse's not insignificant. Oh, it's not? It was a musty TV show. I mean, it, it was – so the reason that I bring this up – Yes, was it, was Kat, it was Christine Applegate. Yeah, it, it got. I remember that. It, it got the uh, it got the post Friends it was, slot. It was wedged between Friends and Frasier. Yeah. So it got a thirteen point seven share. Yeah. <laughs> she was a single mom, and it ran for a season. Like that says something about television. What else you got? Keep going. Okay, I can do another one. Go um, weirder. Go weirder. Yeah. Oh, boy. Uh, okay. It's like you know. I know what that oh, is. Oh, yes. It's like, Seriously? Um, you no, know, dot, yeah. dot, dot. Yeah. Um, that was ABC. <laughs> Jennifer Grey, right? Uh, let me look. Oh, right. It's ABC. She played a version of herself. I know who wrote that. Do you? I'm pretty sure it was – I think it was Carol Leifer, right? Uh, right, yeah. Joe? Was it Carol? No. No, it, it was, was a Peter Seinfeld writer. My, my no, old no, man? No, it was definitely a woman. Peter Melman from Melman. Um, no, no, it was a Seinfeld writer. Okay, I was wrong. <laughs> So, Jennifer okay. Gray played herself post nose job. The joke was that she can't get work anymore. Okay, right, Joe? Uh, I'm okay. So I am having to go onto Wikipedia because <laughs> I absolutely remember this show because we love like there were some shows around that time like that ABC tried that were just so weird with the titles. Like I remember, uh, I think it was Wednesday nine thirty eight thirty Central. They actually named a show after a time slot. <laughs> oh, that's also, incredible. They also did in the nineties two guys, a girl, and a pizza place. All these weren't ninety nine. So I apologize. Oh, Are we allowed to wrench shows that aren't from nineteen ninety nine? You can yes, do whatever you, you want. You can talk about yes. whatever you want. This is, I, I I didn't realize how much. This is my shit too. <laughs> like, <laughs> I spent the entire ninety nine in front of the TV watching all the garbage shows. So yes. Do you remember a show called Maggie Winters? No. Maggie Winters was CBS. Um, it, it was, I think, one of Leslie Moonves's attempts. Can we say his name? Um, yeah, no, attempts yeah. to sort Voldemort. of typify CBS. You can you can say canceled people's names. We just have to acknowledge their cancel. Do you remember who the lead of this show was by any oh, chance? Oh, oh, give me a hint. Uh, hmm. I mean, it's it's a. Here's the other thing that I just noticed. Both these shows that we just talked about, it's like you know, and this. Who, who composed it other than Snuffy Walden? Both oh, of them. Yes. <laughs> um, the lead of the show was Faith Ford. Oh, was Maggie that Winters. I love Faith Ford. She was the title character. Uh, all right, let's do one more while, while we're doing this. Uh, I'm not going to hit you up with a UPN because that feels too hard. Oh, come on, give me up with seven days. Which one? Seven days. I think, I think I might know what that is. Seven days. Oh, that was not UPN or WB? That no, it was, was UPN. It was UPN. Okay. Yeah, it ran for three seasons. Oh. It was a comedy. It was an hour, was and it, it was a sci-fi oh. show. Was it a Groundhog Day show? Like, they go back seven days? Uh, I love some UPN sci-fi. It was, yeah. Who doesn't love them? Some UPN sci-fi. It was a sci-fi. It was like a Star Trek kind of, kind of a ripoff. It was probably, um, yeah. It was um, created by Christopher Crowe. Yep. Whoever that is, actually. Yeah. Wait. I don't know. Here's uh, what's also interesting. Is I'm he lo- related to Cameron Crowe? Oh, that'd be hilarious if he was. I'm looking at Thursday night, 1998, 1999. It. No one is even close to. It is. A, it is a. 
<laughs> a wasteland of television right now. If you look at this, it is just must see TV. So this is ninety eight ninety nine. You're talking yes, about ninety eight ninety nine. You've got Cupid. You got Drew Carey repeats and Spin City repeats on in the nine and nine thirty slot. You got a show called Turks. Nope. That mean anything to you, Joe? Uh, vaguely familiar. <laughs> um, uh, Cupid, I love because Cupid was early Rob uh, Thomas. Thomas. Yeah. Yep. 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 Right. Who's yeah. who, and yet somehow I was just saying this the other day on Twitter that I like I never got into Veronica Mars. I maybe saw the screener of the pilot when we used to get screener pilots on videotape. Yeah. Um, and um, I thought, oh, that's kind of cool, but they never watch it. Um, and now I'm starting to rewatch it. I was like, I love it's this show. What the hell are they doing? Yeah. It's the greatest show. It's, it's the my favorite show. But I love <laughs> it's the best. So uh, Cu- Cupid came back. It did as an hour. Yep. Yeah. It Cupid, started as a half hour. It's Jeremy Piven. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, canceled. I think he's canceled too, isn't he? He is. He's, he's, he's definitely canceled. canceled. So let's just start sort of uh, with you, Joe. We're not going to talk about Daddio then. <laughs> what was that? Daddio. We're not going to talk Daddio? No. Daddio? Is Daddio no, Dice also- Clay? No, no, Daddio was oh the bald guy. Um, <laughs> hold on, um, and he I think he went on to star in the Shield. Um, oh, oh Chick- Michael Chiklis. I think it was. Let me just double check this because we we have the capacity to yep, pull anything up. Do. Yep, uh, it ran from March twenty third, October twenty third, two thousand. Um, <laughs> and it's Michael Chiklis. Yeah, yeah. Um, Could you just, imagine if that show was a success? We never got the Shield. Cable history would yeah. not be the same. Oh, completely. It wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be the same. So, Joe, in 1999, where are you living? Uh, so I had literally um, – I actually – 99 is when I moved to Los Angeles. Uh, I'm not okay. currently in Los Angeles, but I had been in New York for five years. Um, I had been in Variety f- uh, as the as a TV reporter in New York starting in 1998. I had previously been at the New York Post for five years. Um, and after a year at Variety, um, uh, you know, the TV editor of Variety at the time, her name – of a woman named Jenny Hans um, left. She got a job as an executive at ABC. It's a long story. We won't get into it. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we needed a new TV editor. So Peter Bart, who also probably is canceled, um, uh, asked bit. me to move out to Los Angeles and be the TV editor. I said, of course, why not? Um, and I traveled with a friend. We did a road trip across the U.S. This is way too much detail, but no, it's great. Uh, I ended up living in Los Angeles sort of like, I think it was right around the summer of uh, 99. Yeah, summer to fall of 99. So I was just uh, going to Los Angeles and named TV editor Variety uh, in um, in the fall. In October, it was official. <coughs> Excuse me. He can't believe it. <laughs> so <coughs> I'm so sorry. Uh, you got to talk to me. Oh, I'm sure. I have plenty. Got coughing. Yeah, yeah he's coughing. He's doing, doing doing a little coughing here. <sighs> okay. Uh, so that you, was like when Andy Richter has to like jump in. And yeah, it was like, crazy. Uh, well, uh, so you are the TV editor, 1999. So you are very aware of the fall premieres of 1999, correct? Yes, sir. Do you remember what you loved in that season? Did anything sort of jump out at you? Did you did you recognize that the West Wing was going to be the West Wing? Did you know that sort of you know? Did you see Roswell? Did you? I mean, what sort of where was your your head at at that time? Well, a big part of my head was thinking about the nascent nascent uh, unscripted TV boom. This was also yes. the year of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yes. It was, um, and that about. was starting to get everyone in Hollywood's attention. The ratings early were huge. Um, uh, and a ride. 
uh, I'm sorry. They had to write a Disneyland based on the, how, how they to, would. Yeah, and so the the end of '99, you know, it, it actually uh, premiered in the summer of 1999. Yeah, um, and. Um, you know, uh, uh, and it was huge. It was like, you know, we would see this a year or two, a couple of years later, this happened with American Idol, but suddenly there was this show that came on and suddenly it was supposed to be just like five or 10 episodes and then it was huge. And the next thing you know, it started eating up all of ABC schedule and everyone in Hollywood who worked on the scripted side um, was getting nervous because all of a sudden network said, wait a second, we can do three times the ratings um, at one third the cost more please um and so we didn't see this effect on the screen yet in 1999 it would really not happen until the summer of 2000 when survivor, survivor and big yeah. brother premiered on cbs and then idol um a couple years later you'd have the bachelor and all that but but 99 was sort of the beginning so right then that's what the big buzz was more as that i recall it than than any other show nbc of course i'm pretty sure was still sort of very much on top um <clears throat> with with the I mean, must see tv was sort of right about its prime it wasn't i don't know if it was quite the peak it started 94 and by 97 so it was it, but it was starting to probably edge that down a little bit um you know when does, when does uh, seinfeld wrap up what year was that do we know oh like 98 right so that was the year before right does that make oh, sense wow was seinfeld already gone by seinfeld, seinfeld was, gone, was by gone, by gone by 99 yeah that's that's correct because yeah, frazier had right the nine o'clock spot by then yeah. yeah so it was so in some ways nbc was um NBC was a transition because it was waiting a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 so funny. So I'm I'm looking at the the Wikipedia page here for the 1999 to 2000 season, uh, the, and the top three slots are Who Wants to Be a Millionaire on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. It's getting an eight over an 18 share on Tuesdays, 17 share on Thursdays, 17 share on Sunday. That is insane to think about that to have a show on three times a week conceivably or whenever they were shifting it around its time slots but either way even if they're you know they're they're double pumping this show and it's getting that kind of ratings is is i can't even right. process it the Tuesday edition for the season, you know, it didn't premiere in the fall, by the way. It didn't actually move uh, to, uh, I'm not exactly sure what date, but like Spin City, for example, was originally scheduled on Tuesday night, and then they premiered it, uh, um, 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 you know, uh, um, they moved it into the 8 o'clock time slot in the winter. So I don't know if that was a December or right around 2000. But, you know, to, to, for a point of comparison, Spin City, which had been in uh, that time slot, the 8 o'clock time slot, paired with uh-huh. like some great uh, loser comedies, like it's like you know, and oh, grow up. Um, they replaced it, and Spin City was doing sort of a 9.1 rating. Millionaire came on and did an 18.6 rating. So that basically meant almost 20% of all Americans watching TV it's at a, that time were watching. <clears throat> I mean, just to put that into context, that's sort of like, you know, that's bigger than The Walking Dead by oh far. God, it's yeah. bigger than Game of Thrones, which I think went out with like, and, 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 you know, they do like 11, 12 household ratings. Household ratings, by the way, are the best way, pro tip, best way to look at TV ratings historically is always with a household rating. Uh, because when you sometimes you'll see people talk about millions of viewers, and that's important. Mm-hmm. But remember, there were a lot fewer people in America tw- even 20 years ago than there are now. Right. Uh, so look at that rating and 18.6 is just a huge huge number it's it's a it's a crazy number i mean it's it's so friends was a 14.0 can you (laughs) put that in context friends was a 14.0 er was a 16.9 yeah millionaire was bigger so can you just for for our listeners walk us through sort of 
the difference between your household and your rating share and what that means because some people might not know it. I mean, a rating share is, is essentially a percentage, correct? Of the of the household. Well, a share so um you of Nielsen families. Measures, yeah. Right. Nielsen measures two key things, right? They measure um, you know, uh, how many people of the people watching, like so, for example, they're, they're not, you know, 100 million people watching TV every single hour every day, right? It, it varies. So the rating is the percentage of people who are watching TV in any given hour. So Nielsen can say, all right, um, you know, on on September 15th, 1999, Thursday nights at 8 o'clock, the cumulative audience of people watching TV, um, tuned in to network cable, whatever, is, say, 60 million people. If you've got a... 20 rating or an 18.6 rating, you basically have 20% of that 60 million. Okay. The share is the percentage of all people who have TV sets, which is a much bigger audience, right? right. There are something like 100, you know, 150 million TV homes. So that's sort of the difference. So the, the share is important, but the real number, the historical thing that most people look at is um, uh, is the rating because it, 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 it's based upon the percentage of people watching TV at any given hour. The TV so, use right. is what they say, uh, right? Exactly. Uh, Households using television, huts. So, households vary. So, I guess my question sort of is: if we look at the landscape today, and we say to ourselves, I, I would, I would argue that there there are more people watching television today than ever before. Oh, I completely agree with that, Joe. What do you think? Well, there are more people watching TV than ever before because there are more people than there are. Right? Um, I, I, are they? Are there more people engaged in? Wa- I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know that you can, in terms of watching current TV, in terms of the percentage of of, of you know the Americans alive who have access to a TV set. I don't know that I would say that because people now remember TV networks today are are are, are competing against themselves. They're right. You know, people like me who spend a couple hours watching Veronica Mars now. I'm not watching what's the universe now. Am I watching some form of video? Yeah. I mean, I think in general the amount of time spent watching TV is crept up. Absolutely, that's true. I would also just so we're all on the same page here. I think that I'm defining television as it can be a computer screen as well. Of course. <clears throat> like I'm not I'm not saying it needs to be a television set. Because and it doesn't have to be a current TV show. And it doesn't need to be a current TV show. Does it have to be a TV show? Not to. Because there is, you know, well, I mean, this is a completely different conversation, but um, is a video on YouTube television? It's I mean, a form of video. People are absorbing more content. content. They're watching more TV. Uh, they're watching more video than ever before, absolutely. Are they watching more uh, of the traditional TV networks, cable, or Netflix? Uh, maybe not, uh, but it's because, it's you know, people remember there weren't as many options back then, too. So in terms of traditional TV, you know, you couldn't just go on your phone and play. You, you couldn't play as many great games. There were video games, but not, you know, right now, TV has competition from things like Fortnite that they didn't have 20 years ago. Miss mm-hmm. Pac-Man, which is what I grew up on, was not quite the competition. <laughs> as immersive games where people can literally spend eight, 10 hours involved uh, or getting down YouTube rabbit holes video. So as long as we recognize that, I mean, yes, we are in general a society that's a slave to screens more than ever before. I, uh, in I, terms of the con- Hollywood content that's being produced, are people watching more of that than ever? I don't know about that. I might take issue with that. Well, it's that. like, so there was an article that I was looking at yesterday about the uh, the premieres of HBO series and they sort of they, they created a, a a list of the most successful ones and and what their sort of ratings were the, the number one is the soprano season three uh 22.6 million people watched the premiere of uh the season three premiere of the sopranos that would have been an 01 right that's in 01 um then you got season four 
of The Sopranos, which is the next one down at 13.4, which is a pretty steep drop when you think about that. Um, now, still astronomical still for huge. H- HBO uh, un- at the time. Unquestionably. Right. But I guess if you, for comparison's well, sake, you've got Game of Thrones Season 7's getting okay. 10 million. But the way people are watching it is drastically different. Well, and by the way, um, the way HBO relays those numbers are differently. Now, when, you know, remember that number that you hear about 21 million, yeah. um, that's almost certainly, I can almost guarantee it, that is simply the number of people who turned on their TV set to watch the HBO network Sunday at, I think it was nine o'clock, maybe 10 yeah. o'clock, period. That's it. One time everyone came to their screen. The numbers that HBO puts out for all these other shows – now, the, the Game of Thrones, yeah, actually can get about 10, 11 million viewers. You're right. Uh, but remember, there are maybe you know 20 or 30 million more people in America now, so that, that you have to add inflation, which is not insignificant, uh, maybe, even, maybe even 40 or 50 million more um, than, say, 30 years ago. So, uh, but also the numbers when you'll see HBO will say, well, Game of Thrones has 25 million viewers. It's the biggest show we've ever had. Well, yes, because HBO now has the ability to stream stuff, right. VOD. They can put stuff on DVRs, which were not even being measured by Nielsen in, in 2001, really. Yeah, a significant way. So that's a cumulative number. You know, if Neil and I think Nielsen did actually measure some usage of VCRs, but it wasn't quite the same. So, so anyway, yeah, it's it's. I mean, I was so I was talking to my roommate as I was looking at these numbers, these these uh, HBO numbers, and and I, we both sort of said the exact same thing, which is. You know, you got Game of Thrones claiming in a linear way that they've got 10 million viewers for, for Game of Thrones. And who knows how many more people are watching it on HBO Go, HBO Now, uh, or any, any, I mean, who knows where they're watching it. And, and that's sort of the giant X factor that we live in today. That is the, the sort of the, you know, we don't know what Netflix numbers are. We don't know what Hulu's numbers are because they're not telling us what they are. Um, and, I guess my question to you, Joe, is do you think that these shows are either as successful as people are claiming they are, or do you think that there's just a lot of smoke and mirrors going on when it comes to the ratings on in the streaming world? No, I think there are plenty of people watching these shows in a big way, yeah, because the thing is the platform has made it far easier than ever to watch TV and 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 you know, no. What what isn't happening is people aren't watching together as a group, and and it's much. E- it's it, but it's easier than ever to catch up on shows. You don't need to be there. You know, NBC back in the uh, in the eighties. We're allowed to talk about the eighties. Their sure. slogan was NBC. Let's all be there, or just be there. It was, and and it was true because you had to be there in front of your screen. And yeah, eventually you got some VCRs. You could tape some stuff, so people started watching more. But it, it was, but there was one. If you forgot to set your VCR, you were out of luck until the summertime when the show would be repeated. Mm-hmm. And, a show could still aggregate audience over five, seven years because the shows would then go into syndication, right? People would catch up, so you would have, or you know, but 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 Netflix and these linear and these nonlinear platforms uh, make it much easier to simply hear about a show, watch it on your own uh, your own timeline, um, and you don't have to do it within a day or even a week. You can watch it within a month or a year. So these shows, you know, at some point you have to stop counting. Uh, but it, let's say just. A lot of these places use one month as a, as a you know as a measurement period twenty eight yeah. days something like that. Um, yeah, if you aggregate over that, I think yes, uh, lots. Especially because the numbers that, for example, Netflix puts out in some ways um, um, 
undercounts their audience because they just simply count the number of household accounts. They're not actually measuring viewers. They don't have people meet- – Nielsen has people meters that can actually do a survey and show how many people are in front of the TV screen. So if there are 3.5 people or whatever, uh, you know, is there also further complication to the fact that these shows – all these numbers that we have sometimes include international, which is definitely apples and oranges, yes. Sure. So, uh, but, but do I think that, you know – 20, 25% of Netflix's audience is watching their shows over the course of um, some of their shows over the course of a month. Yes. Do I think a lot of their shows are getting seen by just a couple million people? Absolutely, too. Uh, I, I, I think it's quite possible that a show like One Day at a Time, which I love, maybe has an audience that you know couldn't get arrested on CBS. Um, you know, and that's even when you count the people who watch over the course of a month. So. Well, this sort of brings me, question, yeah. This sort of brings me to a, to a, to a question for you, and 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 it's I've sort of discussed this with with friends and other writers, producers, what have you. But you know, if you if you cast the net big enough, right? If you if you make the duration with which you're aggregating these numbers, most shows are going to be successful. I guess what I'm saying is, we used to have this metric of overnight numbers, right? Because it was important for advertisers to. You know, I, I'm assuming for them to know that this is being watched ASAP. Yep. Now, there's very few things, very few commercials that necessarily need that ticking clock. Most of them are movies because they want their weekends to open big. But for the most part, advertisers just want to make sure that people are watching their stuff. So I guess the question is now we're seeing fewer, fewer and fewer advertisements. We're seeing, we're seeing most of these streaming channels having, you know, uh, no longer having commercials involved in them. So I guess the question is, does it even really matter how big the timeline is for a show? It, it, I guess it's sort of my question. You, you said that the metric's sort of a month, right? But like, why isn't it six months? Why isn't it a year? Like, why, why are we even like using a month as the metric? Well, I've asked, I actually, I did a story where I got, I was lucky enough to actually go and talk to all the people in Netflix and see how they make their sausage. And I asked that question too, because I said, like, hey, you know, part of your whole beauty of your platform is that, you know, supposedly you don't need people to watch right away. You know, Ted Sarandos, who runs Netflix, has said before, it's like, hey, you're, you know, your show is valuable if you watch it three years from now because, yeah. hey, it's getting value. And I think there's some degree of that, but they're, they're moving away from that. But they also say, and again, this could be BS, uh, that they can predict a show's ultimate audience by how many people watch within a month. You know, and, and that's a little depressing. It sort of says that they don't believe in the power of slow-growing viral marketing. Yeah, they don't believe yeah. they, that they don't believe like a show like Breaking Bad, which grew its audience in part because of a distribution on Netflix, can get bigger, or Shit's Creek, which can get bigger, or you know, um, you know, uh, countless shows in TV history, Seinfeld, um, that just took time to catch on. Um, uh, so I think there's absolutely a question of just what is an you know an agent once told me that we have now the best most detailed audience analytics that we've ever had because remember nielsen is a survey it's an opinion poll essentially right and it's right. accepted and it's scientific but we don't know 100 percent for sure you know russia could be tampering for all we know <laughs> but um you know but you know the, the streaming people they know exactly um and they won't tell uh, us <laughs> They won't tell us, or they don't want to. Maybe they will. Um, you know. Uh, so, although I, although even then, I don't know exactly how, because I still am not sure that they have the ability to know. I, in fact, I don't see how they would. They don't know how many people are actually in front of the TV when people watch shows on a TV set. So, yeah, my long sort of guess is, you know, I don't know. You know, it, in theory, yes, you would think these streaming platforms would want to 
um, just sort of accept that shows are investments that can pay off over time. Uh, but increasingly, they seem to be slipping into the same bad habits of old school broadcasters uh, in wanting the quick audience hit and wanting the big rush and wanting the big numbers and wanting things that are going to get people to sign up. Um, you know, I, I, I fear for those who work in TV like some of you guys do um, <laughs> because I feel like we are going to have a bubble at some point. And I think there's, you know, and, you know, you can talk to people like John Landgraf at FX that, you know, at some point once Netflix is successful and some of these other big conglomerates are successful putting other people out of business um, and right. reducing the networks, it could just be like, you know, Walmart and local Main Street businesses, Amazon and bookstores, there are fewer suppliers and suddenly Netflix won't need 700 shows. They'll be able to get people to subscribe to having 50 shows, which will be great, but unless right. you make TV. Um, so, well, this is in 1999, so what do I know? Joe, I... Um I can't think of anybody off the top of my head who is more affected by the lack of reporting of viewership than you because (laughs) (laughs) you and people in your profession, but particularly you, because, um, I, I, you know, I don't like not really having any concept of how many people are watching a show because I like to have a basic idea that if I'm watching Seinfeld or if I'm watching ER, the Western, et cetera, that you're watching it or you probably are watching it or you could be watching it. And I know people are probably watching Game of Thrones, but how do you as a television editor make the decision about what Amazon and Netflix shows to cover? Um, that's the, that's the end of the question. <laughs> Sure. Um, well, just a small course correction on the off chance that any of my bosses are listening to this podcast. I do have to say that despite my fancy title of West Coast Editor, I don't actually make the real decisions as to what gets covered. Uh, we have a TV editor who actually does that. I've sort of been bumped up to sort of like analyst role. So I certainly sort of – I do definitely try to – care about ratings but he has to sort of figure out what to cover and sure. and that is a very tough job and he has to um he has to judge based upon you know how many people read stories that we post on the site you know uh what our audience is versus the larger audience we sometimes care about shows that we know not a lot of people are watching but a lot of vulture readers absolutely do love so we're sort of a you know a niche product in that way um so um you know but in terms of the larger question of the death of ratings, sort of, uh, I've thought about this. And, um, you know, I do love ratings. I'm someone who back in the 90s, in 1999, the way that I got my ratings, was to, the first chance was when I'd get up in the morning and at 7 a.m. I would dial into a number in Burbank. Um, there would be a ratings hotline and there would be this voice and I would, I would get so excited. It was like Pavlovian, like saying, today's overnight ratings for, you know, Wednesday, September 18th. Um, and they would say, we're all the networks ratings were sharing, especially with the NBC shows, like especially when ER was on a tear of friends, and he'd be like, 13.8, 45 share. It was to be like, it'd be amazing. You couldn't believe it. And also, we'd get them faxed to us later in the day. So I love ratings and I love that knowledge. I love, you know, diving into ratings, mm-hmm. figuring out trends. It's great. Um, I'm okay. Um, <laughs> That's good to hear. If, <laughs> I'm okay. Yes. I'm okay. Um, Transitioning from that as a TV fan, even if I think it does raise lots of questions for people who have to cover a TV and how to evaluate success and how much more BS we have to accept as, as legit and in spin, et cetera. But I think that uh, in theory, a world where decisions aren't based on gross audience is actually not a bad thing. HBO, which has been one of the best providers of television over the last 20 years, has operated mostly, until maybe recently, but even still so, their network that 
cares about how many people subscribe, not how many people watch at once. And yes, they've gotten addicted to shows like The Sopranos and um, Game of Thrones. And yes, their bosses now at AT&T want more of those big shows, and they're aiming for those big swings. But they also continue to support shows like, for example, Girls or Veep, which were never, ever even after years of hype, huge rating successes. That still got minuscule numbers, even when you counted uh, people who watched over the course of a month. The cumulative audience still could be six, seven million viewers, all right? Um, because they made a decision on sort of what the general programming mix was. If there are other ways that matter, how many people subscribe, how many people keep coming into the service, as opposed to everyone having to get a show that everyone loves, I think that's for the best. Now, are these streaming services going to stick to that? Are they going to go and and try to find shows like Amazon's doing with Lord of the Rings that gets big audience? Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, but I'm okay if maybe they can find a way to just not make every show about a mass audience, but finding the right mix of shows that appeal to viewers that keep people invested in the ecosystem. As At TV, least that's the theory. As TV watchers and creators, I think Phil and I like agree with that strong. Having homes for the girls and the veeps and the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's and a show I loved on Amazon Forever and um, shows on Hulu and it's really a wonderful uh, situation. When I when you talk about the kind of the Lord of the Rings on Amazon about eighteen months ago, um, there was a pretty big shift in streaming away from these smaller kind of mid sized shows where uh, you know where as a creator if you have an idea that's a little quirky. 10 years ago, there was nowhere to take it. There, There's usually one network to take it to, right? Mm-hmm. Now you can take anything to Amazon, uh, Netflix, Hulu, and about 18 months ago, there were like four or five other places. Now, <laughs> half of them have gone out of business and a bunch of them have just kind of uh, budgeted up where they don't really exist anymore um, looking for those kind of shows. And that's pretty depressing. But um, – I did a story on this. With, you did a story on this? I should do a story on no, it. No, so I mean, I can, afterwards. I, I can be your guide. <laughs> <laughs> because no, really, like, uh, if, if you look back to, yeah, 18 months ago or so, um, there used to be full screen, there used to be go 90, there used to be YouTube oh. premium, there used to be crackle, there used to be all these other kind of it, places that could do weird stuff and they either don't exist or the Hulu's, Apple's, um, they don't want it. They don't want it, or there are other places that just never kind of came to light, like Spotify never actually wound up making television, right? So I, I just want to rewind a little bit here. And and, and you, you talked to – Joe, you talked to Fairmont about HBO, and I found this article um, from back then uh, talking about – it was a Variety article. HBO wins big summer 1999 ratings derby. Uh, over the top, <laughs> over the top 150 rated paid TV shows this summer, HBO obliterated the competition by nabbing 45 of the spots. HBO's premiere of Lethal Weapon 4 was the highest rated paid TV program for the summer with a 13.8, 25.2, and 4.1 million homes. It's June 5th boxing doubleheader finished second with 12.1 and a 21.2. Uh, Chris Rock's Bigger and Blacker, an original stand-up special. Got a twelve and a twenty-four share. Wow. Uh, I mean, Are then you they kidding? Talk, it's crazy. Then they also said the summer's ratings indicate how important original series have become for HBO. Episodes of the half-hour comedy Sex and the City scored as high as an eight-point-six rating and a thirteen-point-four share uh, in HBO homes, according to Nielsen's media research. Uh, nine episodes of Sex and City scored a seven-point-two rating or higher. The show is performing slightly better than it did a year ago. You've got Oz getting a eight-point-six and a thirteen-point-two share. I mean, it, now remember, this is our HBO home. So when you were talking about how big those numbers. 
numbers seem. That's only because uh, cable back then would yeah. often report just in their universe, and HBO sure. at that point was so maybe in one third of the TV homes. Right. So take those numbers, knock off two thirds, and that's how you compare it to network. So it's still relatively small right. compared to what NBC and CBS. Well, in parentheses of all of these things, it says two point six million households. <laughs> like so, right, right. It, it's it's right. making it clear to you that it's a share yes. of that percentage uh, or of that amount of households. So admittedly, HBO is not in as many households as, and and that's kind of my point, which is this is the beginning. This is the sort of the nascent yep. stages of HBO where they're starting to realize, you know, Sex and the City has real potential. The Sopranos, which topped out at, at a 7.8 and 11.8 share, again, in 2.3 million households, they, they were seeing the real potential in their original programming. But then they're also seeing just huge numbers for their movies. And it, it's the thing that people don't talk about. You know, their movie stuff and, and Showtime as well. Showtime here, you know, they had Godzilla, which ranked number 46 with a 7.8 and a 14.8. Again, Showtime only in 1.3 million households. So again, much smaller, you know, pool. But it's so clear that that they could see what was coming. Like someone yes. was like, this is the future. And one sex in the city and the Sopranos were able to hit the zeitgeist and hit that vein of people talking about their stuff. That was when the sky was the limit. So what was happening then, and, and we, 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 by the way, we would see this repeat itself 15 years later when Netflix came online in a different way. They, they copied that HBO model. Showtime would eventually copy it too. Sure. In, a more, in some ways in a more dramatic ways. First of all, movies absolutely have always been a huge, huge part of the HBO offering it. Every part in its 40, 50 year history, it still today is the case that their Saturday movie, if it's the right title, can blow away any of their original series except maybe for Game of Thrones. Um, people subscribe to HBO for movies. They always have. Um, uh, but HBO started realizing home video was starting to become a big thing then, right? In the 90s, all of a sudden blockbusters, remember them? They were yeah, everywhere. Sure. People were renting movies. And HBO was all of a sudden realizing, oh, we were known as the place where you went to finally see movies if you didn't get them in theaters. Well, and, and obviously in the 80s, there were, I still think we had video cassette players. Yeah, we had video movies, yep. but, but it was, it was a lot more DVDs were coming out. It was, it was becoming even more. They realized also that there wasn't as much growth in just movies. So even though they knew that movies were going to be a bread and butter, they knew that in order to get the business bigger, in order to get into more homes, they needed to offer something else. So they started, you know, they'd been experimenting with originals for years, first and 10 and yeah, uh, dream on some of the, but, Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't new, but they started realizing, okay, we can do more. And but under uh, Chris Albrecht, someone who isn't canceled, but probably should have been um, uh, canceled. Uh, canceled and uncanceled. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he canceled and went to stars, and now is yeah. so he's you know he once threatened me by the way. Uh, but oh, really? oh my god, uh, he's it's complicated. He look he I think he did jail time and he lost his job. So you know, say this. I least, don't think know, he did jail. Time. I I wrote on I I wrote an entourage for a while and I was there. Um, at what that all time. happening yeah. yeah and i you know i was in the same room with him a bunch of times and uh <laughs> so basically the, the the point is i'm pretty well acquainted with the story i don't think he went to jail but um it was a pretty dark moment for him it's, no, it, it was but he did lose his job so at least he did lose his job that's true I, I think it's um, also to, to sort of uh just to jump in here because it's a thing that people really don't talk about hbo stands for home box office amc stands for american movies channel well that's that's but it's like classic. it's american classic, 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 sorry. Yes. but like people showtime don't talk about stands that. for yeah, showtime, showtime. <laughs> <laughs> but you understand i'm just i'm speaking to the fact that There's like movie channel 
Right. Like it's, it's these channels were, were movie channels. The goal was to try to get people to, you know, to pull them away from Blockbuster and to have them stay home. Um, well, they they existed before Blockbuster, but yes, they, they ultimately was definitely sort of like, Hey, this is, this is, this is your window. This is your chance to see that stuff in an unedited, uncut way. And, and original series were a natural evolution. So the people at HBO were very smart to sort of say, let's do this. And and you know what? That, followed by Basic Cable, which did the same thing with yeah. FX uh, and USA. By the way, USA and then let's give credit to USA. Yeah, they were huge back then. They were huge, and they moved into originals too because you know, look, a lot of these TV channels, the cable channels too, were mostly about second windows. Everything in cable was mostly you either specialty news and sports, where you could do original news and sports programming. For entertainment, you were basically the leftover you were the syndicated arm you were all the you know classic tv reruns on tbs and T- nick at night and then tv land or kids programming which was definitely a genre that was original uh, but there wasn't a lot of original programming until networks like usa sort of like said oh we can do sort of this lower budget stuff mm-hmm. blue sky programming and we'll do the son of a beach and we'll do this and we'll do that fx yeah, and so there was there was this move, and 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 you would see this pattern repeat over the next twenty five years of of networks start off with one thing, which is library content's the easiest thing to do, and then once you have the library content, you build an audience on the back of someone else's success. HBO's original success was built on the back of Hollywood studios. Netflix's sure. success was built on the back of TV studios. Um, they moved and they evolved, and yeah, that became and that became sort of you know the great disruption. That was the first great disruption was cable getting into original programming. And 1999 was when this was starting to just you between the the rise of unscripted programming, which was a major disruption uh, and probably bad for people like yourself who were writers. But then you also had the other disruption of cable because that, I mean, that was just a golden age that up all of a sudden, instead of three or four or five buyers, you suddenly had a lot more buyers. Well, it's interesting. So I found this, this other article, cause you, you mentioned USA and I think that's really um, a, a salient point. USA kept its crown as number one in prime time in 1999. It held on to that for most of the nineties. It was which, up 4%. Which they pretty much have to for this another day, right? Yeah. Outside of like, the ESPNs, right? They're, I think they're the number one in original programming on cable, right? I, I believe yeah, so. Years, TNT's gotten closer, but yeah. It's, it's so it's so funny because so it starts with USA's number one. Next in line, you've got TBS Superstation, which was up 5% in 1999. Then you have TNT and Nickelodeon that are tied for third, each posting about a You know why they're all so – you know why they're so high, these, these networks? Wrestling. <laughs> Literally just about to say, USA got a boost of its numbers. Monday Night Wrestling continued to soar up 39% in 1999 and T- versus 1998. And TNT, and TNT had it too. Well. So USA also, its re-airing of NBC's Law & Order Special Victims Unit, which it would do two weeks after it had aired on NBC. Again, this is also synergy, right? Because these are all that was early owned. repurposing, yeah. yeah. That, was a big, that was a big buzzword in the late 90s, repurposing. So it's so they, is, they would yeah. just and, – and that's how they kind of grew. And they So all of a sudden people associated some – element of scripted with USA, even if it was reruns. Same with TNT. And then all of a sudden you kind of leapfrog off of that and you start it's 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 really smart. This happened with TBS in the mid two thousands where TBS had actually built a comedy brand on reruns, but specifically the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. The Big Bang Theory reruns in the in 2000s were were consistently some of the bigger shows on TV, and then they started to make originals that were basically like <laughs> yeah. TBS shows. Yeah. Were basically like CBS yeah. shows because yeah. I met on some of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very yeah. familiar. And they didn't work so, very well. Though. They didn't do well. It was Sullivan and Sons, and it was the Breck and Meyer show. Oh yeah, what was that? Uh, uh, Franklin and Bash. No, that was actually that did well. That was TNT. That, that was, was TNT. Was that TNT? 
I don't remember. Uh, whatever. Yeah. But that did. <laughs> Big Bang, Frank, they didn't get into around 2010, by the way, but yeah. Was that? It, that didn't, TBS didn't have it until around 2010 is when TBS got the reruns. Oh, got it. I've, I've been out here so long. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, that's what they did. They did, they, they started launching these, those kind of shows. And you know, Nickelodeon did the same thing at Nick at Night. Nick at Night mm-hmm. for 30 years is running, you know, old shows. And then they started making their, mm-hmm. their own copies in house. So this, yeah. this has been throughout the industry. It's, it's, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's very one to one, but it makes total sense. I mean, I, there's two other, uh, chunks of, of the cable, uh, sort of universe that I just want to tap into real quick here from this article where they said the highest rated basic cable program of 1999 was the MTV Video Music Awards, mm-hmm. which posted a whopping 14 share and 11.9 million viewers. Uh, in fact, MTV was one of the biggest ratings gainers in 1999 in primetime, up 29%. Uh, the turnaround has been incredible, said the EVP of research and planning for MTV. It's been a wonderful, wonderful year for MTV. I mean, it's, it's a real moment for them too. Now, again, as I've said before on our previous podcast, I'm Canadian. I didn't have MTV. So I, I don't know what other shows they had, had around much music. There. Yeah, we had much music and it, it was, I like much music. Much music's totally fine. We had had the sock. I it's know great. what other shows they, I know what other shows they had. Please. I lived on MTV. So this, this is, they had this, TRL, but they also, they also had, um, undressed at this time. Okay. They also had a lot of Late date. What's that? Late night soap opera, right? Yup. Late night soap opera that like had a bunch of like actors first roles. Um, they had a bunch of like dating shows. Dismissed was one of my like favorite at the time, which okay. is basically one guy goes out with two girls or one girl goes out with two guys and she like at the same time and drops one of them. Sure. It was so ba- she swipes left or right. Yeah, she swipes left or right. They had next, which was the same thing on a bus and they had you know, the real world. Put they them had, on a bus. They had real world. They had road rules. They had real world road rules challenge. I think it started at this time. So, so they, um, they yeah, were killing it. They were killing it. They, they were, were killing. They were building on the success that they had earlier in the decade with Beavis and Butthead, of course, which was right. huge. Yeah. Right. Uh, uh, I, I just read a old TV Guide article for, uh, interviewing. Uh, it was a poll of Gen Xers, uh, circa '99 or so, um, and uh, mid '90s, '94, '95, '96, um, and Beavis and Butthead was like their most popular show by far, which was amazing for a cable network. So the last thing that I want to talk about, and, and I don't want to go down a whole rabbit hole here, but I do think it is worth noting um, how in primetime that in 1999, the biggest ratings losers were mostly news shows. Uh, CNNBC was down 29%. Fox Family Channel was down 25%. CNN, had, CNN was down 33%. Everybody was down, most of the reason being – there was no Monica Lewinsky. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, the, once, once the Clinton scandal left the, you know, the airwaves, a lot of them got hit. But it should be said that two news outlets did do very well, Fox News and MSNBC. Both of them didn't see their primetime numbers affected one way or the other, which I think is interesting. Um, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd love to, I don't know the numbers right now for a lot of these things. I think it's so diversified. I think there's, there's so many, I think the Twitter probably hits them pretty hard on a lot of these channels. I don't know what CNBC really is now. Um, so there's a lot of stuff in there that, but, well, but it just, yeah, sorry, guys. CNBC back then, uh, was, was, was coming into its own because that was the, you know, the booming economy then. And suddenly, you know, you right. had Wall Street sort of becoming a sport. Um, and they really sort of were in the 2000s, especially, they just really sort of killed it their way. Um, MSNBC was very much still, well, they were, it was pretty young compared to CNN. Uh, uh but remember, MSNBC back then did not have any sort of, uh, partisan affiliation yeah. with it. It was just sort of like, it was meant to be this high tech sort of, the MS, speaking the of things, of what Microsoft. they were. My 
Microsoft. Start for Microsoft. Did you exactly. Know that? With, you know, no? I don't think I did know that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it one was, of those lost things like AMC. It was a weird thing. It was, <laughs> it was, I hated the, I hated the, uh, what's the word? The acronym because the N had a dual meaning. It was Microsoft Network, but also NBC. National Broadcasting Company, <laughs> which drives me just nuts. But yeah, it just really sticks in your craw. It really sticks in my craw. <laughs> yeah, Joe, it's funny. The, uh, the, the, the sportification of Wall Street, people kind of forget that, that Jim Cramer was one of the biggest stars in the country yep. for a little bit. Yeah, he really that fucked a lot of people. Who's like, yeah. <laughs> Susie gives all the financial advice. Like she's she's uh, she's famous. She's a woman. She's oh Susie know. Orman. You know, yeah, she's always yelling at people. But it's yeah. funny. <laughs> it, 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 it's minutes. funny. Then Jodie Foster and George Clooney made that movie Money Monster, and no at that point, well, no one, no, like that was so out of the zeitgeist. <laughs> yeah. You know, it wasn't a thing anymore. It wasn't a thing. People, I mean, Jim Kramer exists, and he still yells at people. Sure. I mean, I remember him coming on the Daily Show and eating crow. I remember him doing various things after like the shit really hit the fan, and and more than anything, you know, the the obviously the economy and the, he wasn't the housing so bad. Crisis. At least he ate the crow. He did. No, no, that, <laughs> truthfully yeah, though, no, he did. He, you know what I mean? He went in there, he guy, hat in yeah. hand, and he was like, "Yeah, I, I fucked up." And he, now he's still on there. He's still doing it, but it's it's interesting. Yeah. You know what we should also talk about yeah, uh, real briefly, if we could, just about the you know this WB and UPN were sort yes. of, uh, not quite in their prime, but they certainly were. You know, well, they were near their prime, right? I mean, you had you know the WB close to it shows like I mean they had Seventh Heaven, which was used, Buffy's Charmed, you know, uh, Felicity, Felicity started of course, in yeah. Dawson's Creek, which yeah. I, I will never forget being on the floor of NAPI, which is a TV convention sure. for syndication mm-hmm. that's shadow of its former self now, but now it was it's all Vegas reality, thing. right? Yeah, or something. And it's in Miami, too, which – who has conventions in Miami? Um, <laughs> I, mean, I grew up in Las Vegas. So to me, People would like to party. People would like to party in a very specific way have conventions in Miami. Exactly. So, um, but, you know, I remember being there and uh, the numbers came in on our, probably on our Blackberries or something, uh, or our, or our phone calls. We, and you'd hear the numbers for Dawson's Creek and I was just like this huge. And this was again also an example of, of, you know, TV in the late nineties was really, the uh, scripted programming was really starting to expand because these weblets, as we called them at Variety, because uh, <laughs> the big networks were called webs and little networks like UPN and WB were the weblets. Um, Which I think and, is fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and 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 you know, so suddenly between that and original cable, all of a sudden it was it was it was good. And also, you had it was a great time for writers like yourself because this was the stand up sit- the sitcom boom, and everybody wanted their friends. And it was just you know, unfortunately, a, you know, we were both in high school. <laughs> <laughs> And now I feel old. Louise, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phil, Phil was in college. Uh, yeah, I was in my first year of, of university. Um, uh, I, I, by the way, also in, in '99, UPN added WWF SmackDown, which was also even those that was were trying to that get, was a big uh, deal. Yeah, that was '99. Yeah, we're going to yeah, cover and, it. And, Phil can't wait. Can't wait. My favorite network show, uh, Shasta McNasty, uh, which launched October fifth, nineteen ninety nine, and wow, I now have to plot a twenty year uh, oral history. Do either of you remember Shasta? No, but you're going to have to come well, on and talk I, to us I about it. I remember it, of course. Was it? I mean, was it Nikki Cox, or was she in a different UPN? No, she was in a WB show, I think. Um, this one had Vern Troyer as a guest star, but it's <laughs> Jake Busey, um, and it focused on three friends who were part of the rep rock band Shasta McNasty. And after, That's and I'm reading amazing. from Wikipedia, crediting after signing to Defunct Records, the three friends relocate from Chicago to LA, where they find out that the label has gone bust. Keeping their advance money that they'd been given, they rent an apartment in Venice Beach, where they share a kitchen with their next door neighbor Diana. 
hilarity and hijinks. And stuff. We're, we're, we're definitely, definitely going to cover this. And you're going to come on and be our guest you, for this. Joe, Joe, we did. Um, no, no, you have to get my colleague and uh, oh. former colleague and friend, Michael Schneider. Sure. Uh, we do a weekly segment on KCRW, uh, which if I can do a plug, if you didn't say please, that, please. KCRW. Yeah, um, and uh, about TV, and uh, but he is he is the wor- wor- world's foremost authority on UPN, and to some degree, uh, <laughs> WB. Maybe we could do it together, but um, but yes, he definitely knows all about Justin the hoopty mobile. You know, it's, that's home, just Homeboys in Outer Space, which is another UPN classic. Homeboys in Outer Space. Oh man, let me see if I can get this one. <laughs> Was that Eddie and Malcolm? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. No, Eddie and Malcolm was Eddie and Malcolm. That's just Malcolm, Malcolm and Eddie. Malcolm and Eddie. So who are the guys at Homeboys in Outer Space? Uh, that wasn't on in 99, oh, um, although Love Boat the Next Wave ended this season, uh, as did The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Uh, That's the most problematic show in television history. <laughs> Which one? The Secret uh, Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Do you know what it's about, Phil? No. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's slave. Stop it. Shy McBride. Look, uh, I don't know. Is it the, the most problematic? <laughs> Remember, we did have Hope's Heroes. Yeah, we did. Hogan's That's Heroes, true. a different time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I will say this, Joe. No Hogan's Heroes, I wonder. I, I, Hogan's, Hogan's Heroes was a, a German concentration, was a German detention camp? It, well, concentrate. Uh, yes, it was a concentration. It was prisoners of war. <laughs> it was but there prisoners were Nazis. of war. Nazi, Nazis were lovable and funny. Lovable Nazis. Colonel Clink. Oh, my God. Uh, um, is that right? Colonel Clink? Thank you. Did I get that right? What did you say? It was a Colonel Clink? Colonel Clink, yes, and he his famous catchphrase was whole gun. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. I, it, it is it is amazing to look at UPN and the, and the WB for maybe specifically UPN which just never found its footing. Never had a hit except for Veronica. What? No, it no, just, UPN had UPN had Star Trek uh two but, Star Trek shows that did very well. Right, but weren't those originally on CBS and then moved over? I don't think so. No. Really? No. Voyager was always on UPN. UPN? UPN launched with uh, Star Trek, I believe, Voyager. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. And, and UPN yeah. also had Veronica Mars, which was not a hit. It only lasted three seasons. So hit my heart. But they had, they had the final seasons of Buffy. Um, they did. So, they did. Uh, I remember, remember covering, my God, when it moved from WB to UPN and the drama around that and yeah. having to talk to Joss Whedon on background. Is he canceled? I think he's canceled. I'm not sure. Maybe he's uh, canceled. Sorry? I don't think he's canceled. He's canceled. He's on he had a brief. He had a brief. HBO's making a TV show with him. I think he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Cancellations aren't what they used to be. <laughs> Just for what it's yeah. worth. Yeah. I, I think way, Outer Space starred uh, uh, Flex and Daryl Bell. I don't know who Flex oh, was. Boys in, in Outer Space? Is, 
right, I'm working on the <laughs> Kenny's going to chew on that one Home for a second. But I, I do think that, you know, the WB, I, I'm actually, I was a little surprised when the, when the merger happened, like when the CW happened. I was shocked. I was shocked because it felt like the WB was working. Like it, it had a brand. It shows we're still working. And when you look at it in 99, in, in, you know, still you've got Buffy, you've got Charmed, Dawson's Creek, Felicity. Uh, these shows are all working. You've got Popular, which, which I, you know, didn't run all that long. You've got Roswell, which didn't run, but again, like they were still working. And I don't quite know. And I'd actually be interested to hear your thoughts on this, Joe. I want to make one, one point about this merger that I think was the weirdest thing. Okay. So Phil, everything you're saying is true. They merged these two networks. Who did they give? Who did they put in charge? Uh, it was uh, Ostroff, Don Ostroff, right? Don Ostroff. Yes, the head of UPN. Yeah, which makes no sense. <laughs> and they pushed out the WB people. <laughs> it, makes, it makes no sense. All right. Well, and, and, and the whole reason for that, by the way, because I covered that, and if yeah. I'm remembering it all, but it was simply the stronger, it was a merger with CBS-owned uh, UPN and, and uh, had an ownership stake, and uh, WB um, um, you know, was Warner Brothers, and, and Leslie Moonves was simply a stronger figure, and he didn't like the WB management, and Warner Brothers, and right. Leslie obviously had ties to Warner Brothers. But yeah, as I recall, it was simply a matter of, at the time, the leadership, uh, it, it was sort of Leslie getting, that's all the way. It's, by the way, the smart thing to do would have been to name the net, kept the network name of the WB. There yep. was brand equity in the WB. It yep. meant something in a way that UPN did not. It would have made all the sense, but a certain somebody's ego uh, <laughs> didn't want to give Warner Brothers. And this is why it's never a good idea in Hollywood for two people to own something or three people. I mean, Hulu suffered in its, in its youngest years because it had so many different owners and a board. Lifetime, for the longest time, I think it might even still have sort of joint ownerships. Single ownership makes sense because Hollywood egos get involved. Like and, Lifetime's and, uh, 50 50, right? It's Hearst and. 50 50 uh, with Hearst and, and, and I can't remember now. Uh, like an yeah. yeah. What's, I mean, you uh, can even, even today, you look at the CW and it's still the Warner Brothers stuff that works. You know, the, 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 the CBS studio stuff, not that it's bad. I, I, I think that uh, Crazy Ass Girlfriend, Jane the Virgin, these are good shows, but the CW is defined by Greg Berlanti. I mean, it, it is, it is defined by that. So, it's just interesting to me that even it just, I guess it just goes to show that, you know, you could change the name, you can do what you want, but ultimately the Warner Brothers brand and the Warner Brothers studio is just, you, you know what I mean? It's just, it's just bigger for that now. No, it's bigger and it's got a, pro, you know, they have the money to make the deals with the right people and, and, and yeah. Uh, I mean, but yeah, the thing is there had been, you know, the, the whole Chris Craft was also involved in, in time. I mean, there was a whole bunch of companies that were involved in this. Um, and, and, and it just, um, you know, even as far back as 95, 96, they were starting to discuss, uh, mergers because it just, it, there wasn't enough space then in, in, in the marketplace and, and, and younger audiences were already starting to go to cable. Uh, they were starting to go to, um, uh, you know, uh, they were watching video cassettes. DVRs were not quite a thing, but that was right. down the line. Uh, TiVo was introduced in 1999. Yeah, um, I so definitely want to talk it, about that too. Yeah, so it, it, uh, it, it, but actually, but by the time 2006 rolled around, the DVRs were um, sort of thing. But anyway, we've, we've gone far afield. <laughs> well, no, I, I, this actually, that's, that's, that's a, a good transition. You know, I, I, you know basically, TiVo announces um, at uh, the 
where is it? The Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, Nevada in 1999. Shows. Um, <laughs> the Consumer Digital Video Recorders, DVRs, Replay TV, and TiVo were launched in 99. Microsoft had demonstrated a unit with DVR capability, but this would not be available until the end of 99 for full DVR features in the Dish Network's Dish Play receivers. So there was this article that I found in iMedia from uh, August 14, 2005 that said, like many disruptive technologies, the impact of digital video recorders was overestimated in the short term and perhaps underestimated in the longer term. DVR adoption had been relatively slow considering the technology hadn't been around had been around since the late 1990s. But all indications suggest DVR technology will be a mainstream product slash service by 2010. I remember, and this is just, take this for what it's worth. I, the first time I remember seeing a TiVo was actually on an episode of Sex and the City. I remember when Miranda had a TiVo. And it was uh, it, it was in an episode of Sex and the City. And I was like, what's that? I had a first generation TiVo. I my bought family, one when I moved here. My my family had it in in Right out of the gate? Before I graduated high school. So by 2000. Okay. Um, so I have a TiVo story. Please. But I, I love have a question TiVo. for you guys. How many people actually listen to that? How, how widely listen to it? Not that many people. You're, you're, you're good. Two, two, three dozen. <laughs> it's more than two, three <laughs> dozen. I just I want to make sure that like every studio executive in town isn't listening to this. But oh, oh, that, oh, you don't have to worry about the that. The only people who listen to this show are highly influential. <laughs> but well, do you want to tell your TiVo story? Know, yeah, it's embarrassing, but I'm going to say it anyway because I can't believe I actually wrote these words. But as we were talking, I actually Googled because I had a vague recollection. How did I cover TV? I remember being Dale. So, but I used to love in my position as TV editor, <laughs> I'll just say it. Uh, if I could get new technology first, damn it, and have uh, use uh, sure. a, a, a loaner copy, I, this, I reviewed the first iPod for Apple, the first iPhone. And it turns out in October of 2000, I reviewed TiVo in a story headlined, The Box That Rocks, subhead. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> And, and the it subhead is, breaking up with your VCR is hard, TiVo makes it easy. I did not write those great headlines, as was someone else. Oh. Uh, but my lead on my story, <clears throat> oh, God. <laughs> I, don't even, I, I, I reserve the right to just, no, okay, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> There's a little black box in my bedroom that gives me sex whenever I want it. Oh, wow. Sex in the city, that is. Oh, God. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Should we edit this out? I don't no, no, know. No, no, no. I can it's too late. You We're doubling you, it. You can't scrub it out <laughs> off the internet. So that yeah. is great. That's great. It's great. Well, yeah, I mean, what I did say, my next sentence, which is better, is my new best friend, in case you haven't been keeping tabs on the digital revolution, is called TiVo. It's a relatively new little device that lets couch spuds effortlessly record anything on television from everything loves Raymond to the Iron Chef with just a push of a button. No tapes, no timers, no clock blinking 12 o'clock in perpetuity. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, yeah, let's see. It's... I apparently love this thing because it was great. Uh, I, it was it was one of those things where uh, I, as I remember being a teenager, recording episodes of ER on video cassette. I remember how you you were always I don't know about you, but as a TV fan of a show that you really wanted to watch and you had plans, you were scared that it was not going to yeah. record. And that once that was alleviated from your TV fans where like they just know that it's going to be recorded, it, it, it just, I don't know, it was a freedom that you just never had TiVo, before. TiVo was such a massive leap forward. It, I remember in the mid-2000s, like you, you, the internet, cell phone, and TiVo yep. were the three things that revolutionized our lives. So. I remember, I, and one of the things I loved about TiVo 
was the noise it made when you hit the boop. little TiVo. Well, no, like when it went boom, like when you went back to the menu, like and then the oh, yeah. the, 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 the well, it was just it was just pleasant yeah, noises. Doop, doop, doop. Well, <laughs> let's not talk about how you know capitalism, you know, and big companies like killed the technology because you know, TiVo, it's sort of like Betamax, which was a superior yeah. technology to VCRs, um, got killed off. Um, you know, TiVo was far better than so the other technologies that out there, but big cable companies didn't want to share the revenue, they didn't want to license it, so they crushed it, and you had all these other DVRs that came around that were never as good. They refused to give access. And, you know, from what I understand, TiVo supposedly still has the best interface, but they never were able to, uh, to get it. But, you know, it's funny. I'm reading this story and, and, and it's, it's, it's some of the things, some of the predictions, some were true, some were not. Um, I talked about how audience, this is 2000. I said that audience erosion has already resulted in dramatically diminished ratings for most network programs. Dramatic. TiVo making it easier than ever to time shift primetime or discover obscure cable programs. The big four's ability to control what and when viewers watch is threatened further. That was true. Did, then I said, did you come up with the term time shift? I'm not even kidding. Like, I probably did not know. That's probably. early, though. That's that's that's, that's early to be that's using that term. To be using that term. I'll, some it's probably some uh, research person or or uh, probably Preston Beckman who worked at NBC then, um, <laughs> and, and it's the godfather of ratings. Um, he says, uh, the, "I say the good news for network execs is that people still crave shared experiences. Look no further than the record ratings for last summer's Survivor finale. Half the fun of watching that program was knowing you'd be discussing it with friends and coworkers for the next week. To do that, you need to watch it with other people at the same time as everybody else. Well, that would." change um and then i also say it's questionable whether viewers will simply stop watching commercials simply because tivo lets them fast forward through the annoying ads vcrs have been letting people do that trick for decades yet network ad sales have never been stronger well that was wrong Uh, (laughs) but i do say in my defense i do say there's no doubt the current network model of television is in for huge changes tivo is one of the many reasons why and i think uh that was true that's true you know, but it was TiVo was really the beginning of Netflix, right? It was the beginning yep. of nonlinear television, TV on demand, and it really it was the game changer. It was the moment when you watched it when you wanted to watch it. Yeah, and and that that is that's everything. I mean, I I, I can't. I, there are so few things I watch live. I mean, I don't. I mean, truthfully, I think it's award shows, sort of. Not even because I'm fast forwarding. Th- you know, you don't want to watch all. all See, these you ads. start award shows half an hour late. I generally do something like that. Yeah. You know, it's there's so few things. I mean, sports are really the only thing that we watch live. Yeah. And I guess the question, and I don't know sports, Joe. I don't know if are you a sports guy. I do not know sports. Okay. No. So Kenny, I, I wrote here. that lead. Come on, I don't. don't. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. But I think that that's the only thing now that really people watch in a group and watch live. I mean, you had your viewing parties for sometimes for a Game of Thrones. You know, I, I went to a viewing yeah. party for for Big Little Lies for a little while. Um, but, but like, and I, don't, I don't mean this all due respect, but there's a kitsch factor to that. Yeah, you know, it's like it's almost a throwback thing. Hundred um, percent. I mean, it, if Game of Thrones finale is one thing. You know, you do kind of. Today you want to be there for Twitter right away, yeah. or at least I do. But um, yeah, outside of live sports I, and award shows, I can't think of anything else I would watch live. I mean, I would just chime in to say I think a little bit of that is generational, and I think depending about how old you are, the, 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 there's a direct correlation to how much live TV you still watch. Because there's there are plenty of people who still watch shows live or near live. Um, DVR penetration even now is about 53% of homes, uh, which means a lot of the country and sure. uh, people who don't have the money or want to spend, you know, cable companies will charge up to 20 bucks for a DVR, which is just hilarious per month. Um, wow. It's it's a ripoff, um, you know. Um, 
so um, so older people do, and, and I still watch. I, I don't watch very much. I'm watching Love Island Live, which is just shame on me. And this people love it. And this podcast. Do people right love now. it? How's it going? Um, it's doing well. It's all not two, doing all two of us. Well. No, it's not doing well. It's, it's, it's not. Doing, it's 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 no. It's doing about two two and a half million viewers, which for CBS is just like ah. But it's reaching a younger demo. It's doing okay with women eighteen thirty four. So apparently that's what I am now. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think in the echo chamber of my Twitter feed. I see a lot of people talking really? about Love Island. Not mine. So, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what that says. Let's compare Twitter feeds. Um, it's, 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 let's, and make no mistake, it's, 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 you know, it's junk food. But it's, it's well done junk food and, and less predictable than other reality. But anyway, so there are still people who watch some live stuff or near live, um, you know, the same day. I think there are still shared experiences that people have. But, but you're right. Even if it's live, live, it's not really live. It's live, you know, within 20 minutes because people do want to fast forward commercials. Well, there's, uh, there's two things I wanted to bring up to you real quick, Joe. The first was, and, and it does connect to what you were just saying, because I remember, um, you know, uh, on my days on, on Sleepy Hollow when I was a lot more invested in, in the ratings of something, um, there, there are a whole bunch of different sort of, uh, lanes of, of your, your ratings, right? You have your, you have your live overnights, then you have your live plus three, which is live plus three days, then you have your live plus sevens, and then there was something called live plus three or seven C. Have you heard of this? So those are C3 and C7. Right, the people that, that um, don't fast forward through their commercials. That's apparently there are people who watch commercials. Yes, it's an actual beast, and <laughs> it's actually the ratings that actually, for always, report in the media on L three and L seven. It's actually no, it's the commercial ratings that Nielsen has, and and they do actually. Yes, people do watch ads. My mom, so I mean, she tapes a lot of stuff, but she also will watch stuff and and watch ads. It happens. Uh, Is it that I she does, does your mom now, not know she can fast forward through? Them? She knows she can fast forward. She knows she can record, <laughs> but sometimes she likes to watch. I mean, she's savage. She does her Netflix. She does everything else. She does her HBO Go uh, with my cable login. Um, but she, um, but yeah, some shows you just want to sort of you want to watch it then, or you know, or you want to scroll Twitter while you're watching the commercial or something yeah it's it's uh it's uh it's a thing um but yes it's it's much 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 reduced from what it was 10 20 30 or 25 years ago uh or 20 years ago i guess um so yeah commercials still get through um you it's, might it's stop interesting. a commercial through and yeah the other thing that i wanted to talk about kind of uh as we sort of bring ourselves up to our to our present state in terms of your your netflixes your hulus what have you um so the, the, the last seismic shift that happened was the binge, right? It was when Netflix came into play and the binge model happened where people started watching things in bulk. And at first, I think it was, it was a big deal. It was a big deal for a lot of reasons, but it was also people really loved it. And my question to you now is, I don't know that the binge is a good thing. I'm wondering if Netflix has to ask themselves when they drop stranger things and it's in the zeitgeist for a week, if they're lucky and then it's, it evaporates until people, you know, are excited for it to come back a year or so later, a year and a half sometimes with stranger things. But is this, is the binge model actually hurting Netflix? It's, it, it, it evaporates so quickly into the zeitgeist. I have to, I have to argue whether or not it's actually a good thing for them. Um, 
it, it's it's um it's I've thought about that too, and it's not just Netflix. Hulu, about sure. half of their shows, Amazon are binge yeah. models. Amazon, almost all of them now. Hulu, you know the you know then it, but it doesn't always you know. Uh, Handmaid's Tale uh, is a is a weekly release, and I would argue that it doesn't really uh, benefit that much. Pose has a great show, and it gets a little bit of extra buzz, but it gets most of its buzz when it premieres, and then it sort of disappears. You know, yep. cable for the longest time, cable people would tell you that they they would look at ratings and audience measurements. Uh, the, what they would call the smile uh, model, uh, which okay. is you start at one level, the show goes down, 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 down every week, and then so as you get closer to the finale, it goes up, 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 and then it peaks again at the finale. So that's why series finales, season premieres, are usually the two highest, or often the highest rated episodes, uh, because in fact some people are probably DVRing and they're watching, they're catching huh. up. Um, so the audience that really does not always because everyone can't be there every week and they have to make their own models. I, I but I do think that that there I, I think that Netflix ought to consider experimenting. I think they could get more for their money. They could have more original programming and 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 and, and you know. Um, Pardon me. Get people to sort of keep coming back and feeling invested in a show. Um, in a way, um, uh, you know, they do. If Netflix in international territories, this is especially true where they shows uh, like, for example, uh, Designated Survivor. Uh, or some of the CW shows. Uh, they air weekly in the U.S., but they're all on American networks. Uh, but they air their Netflix originals in the rest of the world. So if you're in huh. the U.K., uh, Designated Survivor, the Kiefer Sutherland show, which actually just got canceled after three seasons, uh, all three seasons aired as a Netflix original. And I'm 95% sure that those episodes, when they aired, aired weekly on Netflix. Uh, I know the CW shows Riverdale, for example, gets posted every week uh, in, in, in international territories where it's a Netflix original uh, because they co-fund the production. Um, and there it's, it's accepted. So why doesn't Netflix do it here? I mean, they do do it with, I think, some Japanese shows, uh, and some randoms, there are some random shows right. that actually still air in a weekly pattern here, but very few. Um, and, and, um, and, and, and I don't know why they don't experiment. Well, I, um, they're stubborn and I think they should at least, I, I don't know if it just, you know, I think, Going to weekly for everything is not necessarily the model. You know, Netflix is about viewer convenience, and it's still very convenient for viewers to know it's all there. And millennials, in particular, I think, like to know that they can watch at their own speed. But I think a lot of them would be okay if some shows, as long as they know it's going to be the same time every week, that it's not going to get moved to a different time slot midway through its run. It's not going to get canceled in the midway through its run, and that they can just wait until Sit 13 weeks are up it. or 10 weeks are up. I also and enjoy it that way. Then why not? I f- I'm sort of surprised that Netflix hasn't adopted a little bit more of an A and B season. They're doing it with Queer Eye. They're not. They're not telling us this, but they're they're making 16 of them and they're breaking it into doing two it with Sabrina. They're doing it with Sabrina. These part ones and part twos. It's just you'll get more bang for your buck. You can get that show on twice a year. So you know, I, I'm I'm a little surprised that we're not seeing a little bit more of that from them of buying sort of bigger chunks. Now, Stranger Things is is an anomaly. Obviously, it's un- enormously successful, and I don't think the Duffers want to make more than eight of them. So it's sort of and, and I think it, it plays best as a movie. I mean, we, we hear yeah. about this horrible thing, and I agree, it's an eight-hour movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but Stranger Things is, and I think it works that way. I watch that within two days, my screeners, and and and. But I watch a lot of. I myself, though, here's the thing. I think you know, audiences have a choice. You know, there are shows that you know I've been watching Hulu's Rami over uh, over the course of a little while. Yeah. Uh, uh, some of their shows, like I, <laughs> this is gonna. I'm so old and square, but I just finally started watching the Lily Tomlin uh, Jane Fonda show. Uh, sure. Frank and Gracie and Frankie and whatever Frank, I can Grace and Frankie. Yeah. Thank you. 
or whatever is it? Yeah. Um, and um, I just started watching six weeks months ago, and I literally watch an episode uh, once a week, and I pair it with an episode of Schitt's Creek, and now I'm putting in an episode of um, Kim's Convenience. I also now have scheduled my own, um, you know, 1970s CBS classic comedy night where I'll watch Mary Tyler Moore and Bob Newhart one episode back to back every week, just like they aired in the 70s. Um, I don't know if the world needs to know what a nerd I am, but I feel no, like I love this. I think this is fantastic. But I feel like Netflix could also try to experiment and other streamers could try to I, I think people want guidance I think people want scheduling I and I think I want guidance yeah. I want scheduling and I, want, I want you to guide us in schedules <laughs> you, you, you watch TV yeah. the way I thought I would watch TV when I imagined one day being able to watch whatever I want to watch <laughs> I, in, okay. Instead, I grab that sentence. <laughs> which is what, what I mean when in the there was a commercial. This is this is so esoteric. There was a commercial. I don't remember what for in the nineties, where some guy checks into a futuristic hotel and he asks if they have any entertain in room entertainment, and the woman says, "We only have every movie ever made whenever you want it." And the uh, the joke was like, "How ridiculous, right? We have that now." And so we have every movie well, ever it's made. It's complicated. You have to sometimes pay a lot and search for it. But yes, we. But but essentially, I mean, every movie we want to watch for this podcast, mm-hmm. Phil and I, we have to. The the I don't know if you know the the conceit of the podcast is we're gonna watch and watch it all. We're gonna watch and podcast and discuss every movie released in 1999. Wow, we, we can find every movie. Um, one way or another. One way or another. So, sometimes, sometimes, sometimes not legally. Have, yeah, sometimes we have to buy them on DVD, but for the most or part, we haven't, them. we haven't been, or download them, but we haven't been able to, we haven't had to miss one yet. You and, better not torrent anything. No, no, I no, we would never, I, I literally would never do that. I actually don't, but <laughs> I care about the profession. But, um, oh, oh wow. But, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> what's, it, what's it like on that high horse over there? Pretty nice, Kenny? pretty nice. I could see, I could see for miles. <laughs> I can see for miles. But, um, but, but my only point is now we live in that reality where we can watch whatever we want, whatever we want. And all I do is, um, get really overwhelmed, don't watch nearly enough. And whenever I have half an hour, I just watch Defunct Land on, on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? Have you, have you seen Defunct Land? Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, it's so. I only the only thing I watch on YouTube are things that were made in the '80s and '90s. That's to me. That's what YouTube is. It's a time machine. I I guess there's new stuff, but I don't know. Def, I, I wrote I write out a new show, and it's so like <laughs> so, it's so upsetting that the Variety's West Coast editor doesn't even know. But I'm Defunct Land's the best. Defunct Land is like a a very lo-fi. This is not like a YouTube production. This is some guy who who does like 15 minute videos on defunct theme park rides. Oh, de- oh my god, that's defunct land. I thought it was like bring into noise, bring into defunct land. No, 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 defu- okay. defunct land. So he'll do like a 15 minute thing on like the old Ooh. Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and Ooh, I, it I is. Like this. Oh, and it's good. It's like it's good. <laughs> defunct land. <laughs> Lindsay Ellis's pod or Lindsay Ellis's things. Uh, and there's one other thing I subscribe to on YouTube. I really like. It's called Company Man about like how companies fell apart. Well, <laughs> so this is when I, in the beginning, when I said, do those things count? That's what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm watching shitty YouTube videos instead of watching 
well, I don't know, Lodge well, 49 or whatever maybe. I'm supposed to be watching. Maybe. I, this is where something like Quibi can turn in because there are definitely people who yeah. think that that mobile experience, and not that YouTube always has to be watched on mobile, uh, but but some of the short-form experience that a lot of people are, are, are buying sort of like, you know, broadcast network quality programming, well, maybe there's going to be an upgrade to that experience too. And even though there's a part of me that thinks that Quibi makes absolutely no sense in the world, so anyone would pay for that, you know, people didn't used to pay for radio, and now lots of people pay for XM, Sirius XM. And, uh, so we'll, we'll, or podcast, which yeah. again, I don't listen I to podcasts, no one, but I think, yeah. I hope no one ever pays for a podcast. Sorry, Ernie. But, <laughs> our producer. <laughs> um, amazing. But, uh, Tell you, Mary. is there a chance... Is there a chance? Except right, so, for our podcast. Yeah, like I said, we, yeah, we hate Luminary because they stole yeah. our podcast. So, yeah, whatever. So here, Do it for 99 cents an episode. Let's do yeah, it. Oh, it's perfect. Hey. So let, let's – here if, – if we live in a world in 15 years where – If there's still a world. If there's still well, – I know. I made the joke in the last podcast. Yeah. If there is a world in 15 years, which very possibly there won't be, where the dominant form is where, – where Quibi is the new Netflix, how does that happen? What? Well, that Kubi doesn't want to be the next Netflix. They won't want to be their own thing. But I mean, but that's what I mean. Like if so, if you if you track the if you track TV from broadcast to cable to premium to streaming, and the next thing is Quibi. What has happened in the preceding fifteen years to get us there? Um, you know, uh, uh, I have. Again, Quibi is short form, so I don't know if it'll be an evolution. It'll be something that's aside it. Um, uh, but I think, you know, in the same way that there's still movies and there's still TV shows, so it'll be like another form podcast and exist. So whatever. But I do think is what's the next evolution of television and the, you know, the, the general, the long form television experience. And, and to me, I think it is about finding a better form of curation. I think it's going to be about bundling and sort of figure, you know, it's, it's these big companies who are taking everything over, you know, they want to recreate the cable bundle that a lot of us have been struggling to get out from. So they can still get our $120 a month just on content. And and I don't know if that can hold. I don't know if future generations, the, the young generation now is ever going to want to pay what my generation paid for TV for so long. Um, you know, But I think there's a way to sort of bundle that content and curate it. And I feel like, you know, to me, what I don't understand is why Netflix, which is you know very good at, at its tech and, and is better at anyone than its tech, they invest as much of their tech, almost as much in their tech as they do in their content, some levels in terms of getting that experience, even though a lot of people still complain about the Netflix experience and autoplay and other things everyone knows watching the show on netflix is a thousand times better experience than watching on amazon prime and i would argue hulu too do you guys disagree with that i agree with i you. agree with that but i would also i would say that that um part of it just seems to be in the investment that netflix puts into the actual interface itself i i, yeah. I find hulu's interface uh very confusing and very counterintuitive and i find amazon's ugly <laughs> Yeah, yes. And, and no, it's completely the case. And, and, um, and, but, but the thing is tied to that. So Netflix, so my point is Netflix, which does pay attention to this stuff. To me, I think their challenge is, is making a few less TV shows, no offense, creators, um, and finding a way to cure it. What about an app? I'm just going to put this out there in the universe and cause I may write about this at some point. I want an app where I can make a TV playlist the way I make a Spotify playlist. I, I want to create a Saturday night lineup, go on there, boom, 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 boom. And then I just click a button and then every, it gives me four episodes in a row. Those four episodes and then says, would you want to do another Saturday night? You know, do and just go through it and, and just put it through and create your own lineups. They can do that. They need to figure out a way to maximize the content. That would and, be and, great. Well and I would also so that yeah. I would also say too, to agree with what Kenny was saying, I would love to have you be able to program 
a night of television like for me. Spotify. Like Spotify. Yeah. You know what I mean? I would love to have, you know, that, that to me feels so obvious if and not you, in, you know what I mean? In the best possible way. You, you or our friend Emily Vanderwerf. Yes. Or Alan Seppenwall. Yes. Or, Matt, yes, they Matt, have much better taste than I do, by the way. Matt Solar's eyes. Matt Solar's like yeah. any, like Emily Nussbaum. Yes. All of these people yes. who we, or Nussbaum, Nussbaum, Nussbaum all these people who we already go to, because I would argue that te- television criticism isn't really television criticism anymore. It's advocacy. Yeah. At this point, because you can't really, because of the su- success metrics yeah. are not really what they were. Mm-hmm. It is guided to some extent, but, but I do think a lot of it is advocacy. I saw, you know, for instance, with, you know, one day at a time or, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the shows I watch is just because people who I trust have advocated for it. Yeah. I would love Emily's absolutely week of television. Absolutely. I mean, Emily's list. Emily's list. Or, you know, I mean, Tim, <laughs> Tim Goodman always put out his like top 30 at the time. Yep. Something like that, that, like, I would love to just have that also, you know, I like when you say I pair, yeah. uh, Grace and Frankie with Shit's Creek. Yeah. yeah that's really smart. Yeah. I think Entertainment Weekly used to do that too, where they would, well, they, they, yeah. whatever. I think, I think we just saved television. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, I think it could change it. The fact is, scheduling was a huge thing. You know, we have, you know, if you look in the network world, and there are people who do the scheduling there, and of course, some of you have like yelled at them and said, "How come you move my Sleepy Hollow to? You know, let's get it get started." And yeah, Preston yeah, Beckman did yeah. this, whatever. These are smart people. But the thing is, back in the age where people watch TV that way, and you did have a flow, it there was a sense. There was. We let's circle back to the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. Thursday night, must see TV, nineteen ninety nine. And yes, some of the shows that NBC put into that wheel were just horrible. We still watch them, and sometimes we like them, but we still remember. Remember them thirty years later. The single guy, what? Um, you know, John and and <laughs> yeah, and and yeah. I once saw him at uh, oh, what's that? Uh, Some place across from the Target on uh, Santa Monica Boulevard. What's that old? Like I think it just reopened. It's sort of like always very dimly lit. Anyway, okay. Uh, oh, I know you're talking about Jones. <laughs> Thank you, Jones yeah, Hollywood. Jones, yes, yeah. uh, went there and he was Not having Jones on dinner with some other Jones. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, uh, uh, but I think there's also something to, uh, and just speaking for myself, and it's it's one of the things why. Uh, first of all, I think people still love channel surfing. I know I personally yep. still kind of do, and it's something that uh, you, for instance, what I would love is to have, you know, you or Emily or whoever be able to program a day of of television, I totally and then want I want to be able to jump around and and be like, oh, what's on this channel? What's on Emily's channel? What's on Joe's channel? What's like that to me? You know, there is a little bit of that. That would I'm sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, there is a form of that that's sort of right now in, in the uh, over-the-top or, you know, space called Pluto TV, um, okay. and it's filled with a lot of garbage right now. But Viacom recently took it over, uh, and if you go there, it's sort of this combination of on-demand, but – so everything's available on-demand like Netflix or, or Hulu. But you go through, and there's an old-fashioned, like, TV program guide, like, you know, the TV guide channel, uh, you know, or your cable guide. And you go through, and there's one channel that's nothing but Teenage Ninja Turtle episodes. There's one channel that's nothing but um, – uh, old sitcoms there's nothing whatever yeah. and so it's a little different but there are sort of thematic i feel like you could have netflix channels right and and where it work where you sort of combine the best where yes. if you you know you really decide you know what i hate that show take it out of the rotation fine you know just like you take a song out of a playlist mm-hmm. um and i think it would be a great way to expose people to stuff imagine if for example um you know uh 
you know, um, Netflix were to be able to launch a season of BoJack Horseman at the same time with Juca and Birdie. So when you went into like alternative animation channel and one episode of, of BoJack led right into this amazing show from one of the writers, uh, Tuca and Birdie, and it was exposed. And oh, wow, people, the same way NBC used to expose people to new shows by putting them behind Friends or Seinfeld or Frasier. But I, I do want to say one quick thing, because you, you mentioned something that I think is, is, a, is a salient point to what we're all talking about, which is getting back to an episode of television. The idea of seeing an episode of, you mentioned uh, uh, Tuco and Birdie next to Bojack Horseman, like that's that's what's missing for me right now is this idea of I don't want eight or ten or thirteen of them uh, all at once. Like the, the, there's something really beautiful about an episode of television, and and this idea that we're that we've constructed and we're going to save television doing it is I really believe about what's great about a playlist is it's songs, right? It's a song followed by another song, and it's creating a a mosaic of, of individual things. One of the things that, that Netflix isn't doing, you know, my list or telling me you liked this show. So you'll like this show is too much to ingest all at once, as opposed to if they were to create a channel saying, here's a channel of episodes of a television, of, of television shows that we think you would like. I'm much more likely to watch them that way. It's, it's too much to ingest coupled with this weird societal pressure to ingest it at once. Yes. Which I hate. I hate it too. You know, if like, I feel like I've missed the boat on, se- on Stranger Things season three. Now I'll just watch it, I guess, maybe on my own time at yep. some point. Yep. But even Veronica Mars, which I'm watching as quickly as I possibly <laughs> can, uh, I'm already behind. And see, I say, you know, and this maybe it's years of therapy, but you need to sort of get over those society pressures. I, I 100% agree with you in terms of all those things, but I, I feel like I'm pretty good at avoiding spoilers. I'm not going to be rushed. I'm going to watch Veronica Mars like two episodes a week, maybe three at the most, but I'm going to enjoy the first three seasons that I've never seen on my own time, and I'll get to it, and maybe someone will die. I don't know. I don't care. Um, More you know, power to I, you, I, Joe. I, That's the way to I, do it, man. I, I didn't watch Mad Men for the first four or five seasons, and then I, I did eventually binge it and i love that binge it was an amazing experience i feel there needs to be experimentation in netflix and you know you mentioned about you know uh songs and everything else you know in the in the in the album business in the music business you know artists will release several singles in advance of the album they will expose the the audience to like this is my new sound and here's a little this then a few weeks later there's this and this and then the album is released well so netflix doesn't have to necessarily go back to the old ways of 13 episodes in a row or 10 episodes in a row every week maybe you do one episode one week and then another two and then the whole thing comes out and, and it's uh, it's a possibility so that there's you know again that's still some of the same problem but you could experiment with models and I will be very curious to see if Netflix doesn't eventually get off its high horse and sort of start experimenting it wouldn't shock me I don't think they, they can seem very arrogant and they are in their own ways but uh, and very much uh, believers in their system works and I get that it, it does work for a lot of audience members but I feel like they can offer choice while still saying true to their main mission, which is creating TV that um, thinks about the consumer first, right? That isn't about serving advertisers first or network schedules first. So maybe they can find that balance and, and it'll be just like 1999 all over again. It's just, it's the Netflix model has really robbed me of one of my favorite things about television, which is the the community experience of watching something together. So you totally. get it with you get it with your HBO shows. Like when I watch Game of Thrones, there are think pieces every week, there are podcasts every week, and I don't have to ingest every one of those, but I have a little I have a little sense of what the conversation is. Same with Big Little Lies, I'm looking forward to Succession doing the same thing, same with Barry. 
Um, I really, really love that. And with an H, with a Netflix show or Veronica Mars or an Amazon show, there's just none of that. And it's almost impossible to have that. So, um, that's kind of what I was getting at in the beginning with there's no way to, to, to test really whether or not it's likely your coworker or your friend is watching a show that you're watching with these streaming shows, which bums me out. Like I don't, I don't think I ever really watch television. And, and, or movies just for the experience you have in that half hour or that hour and a half. It's, we do this podcast in large part to talk about what we've, what we've experienced together. And I feel like Netflix has kind of robbed me of that. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, and, and it feels like, uh, truly it feels like a, a good place to, to wrap it up because it does feel like we've come full circle in terms of the fact that, you know, back in 99, you had, uh, it, it was, it was a fulcrum point. It was a moment when we were seeing things changing, things were coming into play, and we're obviously seeing those things bear fruit now. And the thing that, that I miss most is, is, you know, to, to bring it back to the beginning of this conversation, looking at that schedule, looking at those network schedules and seeing when they were on and, and, and knowing that, that, that there was, there was a, a consistency to it. And maybe this, you know, truthfully, maybe this is just us being old. Maybe we're outmoded. You know, maybe this is the type of thing where the next generation is fine with, uh, you know, with what's coming down the pike and, and that might be okay. And, and we'll, we'll all kind of roll with the punches, whatever it might very well be. But, it does feel like right now we're in a little bit of the wild, wild west, specifically about rating, specifically about knowing how successful a show is or not successful a show is. Um, we're seeing a million reboots, nostalgias at a, at an ultimate high. We're seeing, you know, all of these reboots of all of these things because it, it, it feels like they just don't really know what we want and they're trying to give us everything. And it's and it's uh it's 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 exciting and and it can be really rewarding and also uh really trying. So, next week we are doing the Buena Vista Social Club with uh Gideon Yago, uh who came on previously for um Jesus's son. Uh, you might know him from his days at MTV. He also was a writer on Quantico and the newsroom, uh, as well as directing, uh, music documentaries of his own. So he was uh, a really great guest. He was really insightful. Um, you know, I, I'm not sure. I had never seen this film before. Kenny had never seen it either. Uh, Gideon had seen it. Um, and I just remember it being a big deal. And a lot of people really loved this movie in 99. Uh, I mean, it has a, it has like over 80% on Rotten Tomatoes for what that's worth. Uh, next week, Gideon Yago, um, Buena Vista Social Club. Um, but Joe, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This was uh, a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, and awesome. We'd really love to have you back. We'll, we'll find another, either a, a movie or a TV show that you loved back then or something like that. Cause we'd love to, uh, to judging Amy, in. right? Judging Amy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, I or mean, Shasta McNasty. I, I ordered that. I would, I would also love to talk about, you know, maybe we could pick two episodes on either end of the spectrum, one that was incredibly successful and one that wasn't and be able to sort of, you know, talk about kind of the spectrum of television a little bit that well, way. The other thing I would, throw out there is we are going to do a who wants to make a millionaire oh yeah episode. we're definitely going to do and who wants to make and i don't know if that's something in your wheelhouse it certainly was in my wheelhouse at the time <laughs> um but uh that as well so so and we'll, kind of the we'll find something but we uh we really appreciate you coming on and uh you're on twitter right you're a tv mojo at TV right mojo with an e at the end yes sir so uh so people can follow you there and they should and they should read your articles because there's no one that i honestly that knows yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of it. He's it's, the dean of television. You're the dean really of television, is. man. I'm, I'm serious. I don't know if people, I, yeah, I, I, people, I don't know. I don't know if this has been official, but you are the dean. <laughs> no, no. 
We're, uh, we're anointing you to be more deanier than I am. I'm too young to be a dean. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. Don't dean me. No, don't, don't, don't dean me. Don't dean me. He's cranky. He can be, he can be the dean. Wait, no, 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 no. Friend, I don't want to. I don't want to. Okay. Yeah. You're the dean. You're the dean. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much for being on here, Joe. Come in the 80s, you're the dean. Anyway. <laughs> uh, we look forward to talking again real soon. And, uh, and uh, we're at uh, podcast like 1999 on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. And uh, thank you again for listening. Thank you so much, Joe. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it. 